You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be listening in on the messages from the Maximize Manhood Men's Conference. In this session, we'll hear from former Navy SEAL Garrett Schwing. So I'm really humbled to be here. I, I, this is amazing seeing all of you guys together, men, strong men. And I'm really humbled to be in this place. It's unfortunate I had to go behind Paul uh, because that's pretty impressive. So one more round of applause for Paul. We appreciate it. Excellent messages. Yeah. So I'm not a preacher. I'm not a minister. I'm not a biblical scholar. Uh, but I do know dangerous nations. That I do. And I think you're going to notice a lot of things that Paul said also are amplified in some of the stories that I'm going to tell you and show you. Because like you, I am just like you. I may have taken a different path, but we all seek the Lord, and we all have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's the most important thing, more than any insignia you can put on your shoulder or anything else that you can do in life. We have to lead as men. We have to lead as men. So I'm happy to share a little bit of my story. Let me tell you how I got here. So uh, Dr. D, as he mentioned, he and I had crossed paths years ago, just by happenstance. I didn't even have his part of the the region, the country. And uh, so a couple of years had gone by and I had just landed uh, somewhere from where I was coming from, just landed home. And I was deep planning and I saw the phone, Dr. D, he was calling me. I'm like, that's odd, I haven't talked to him in a while. I was like 7.30 at night or so. So I answered the phone and he's like, hey, uh, look, it was about seven months ago. He said, I have this idea around maximizing manhood and I'd like to roll it out to the church that I'm a part of. And I was like, well, I read that book. Um, I get into a lot of people that raise their teenage sons on that book and go to the workshops and stuff. I was like, it's great. He says, um, but I, the thing is about manhood. Because I think sometimes Christian men get a bad rap for a lot of reasons. Satan's alive and well in the world. So I said, okay, it's great. He goes, but I really, I want some tough guys to, to come in and kind of do something a little bit different. Tell some of their stories. So I said, well, doctor, you know, I was a Navy SEAL. I can find a few of those guys for you if you want. And he says, no, I want you. And I was like, you're breaking up. <laughs> you got the wrong guy, doc. This is not my gig. I'm not a public speaker. I don't, you know, I don't do any of this stuff. So I said, you got the wrong guy. He knows I mean it. I really mean it. So as you'll see kind of some of the stories, when a brother calls you with a mission, you show up and execute. So here I stand today. Thanks. Trey? I don't have a slide advancer, so we're going to go through a few of them. So... Kind of the general topic is about bridges. We're all faced in life with bridges that we cross or transitions, whatever they are. Becoming a Navy SEAL was one of the massive bridges that I took that changed my entire trajectory. We all have those stories. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, but regardless, you still have to keep crossing because there's always another bridge that you can cross to get to where we ultimately wanna go. Next slide, please, Trey. So a bunch of grown men and young adults, young men in particular, are not interested in hearing me stand up here and talk about myself. Men want to hear, like women might be interested in that, but men, they want to know what's relevant, what's the purpose, what's the action items, 
things like that. Like, give me something tangible. I want to know something. Uh, I'm not here just for, you know, social hour. But I will spend a few minutes talking about it just at the beginning. Uh, at the beginning. I was born in Folsom, Louisiana, which is a really small little rural area of South Louisiana, about 40 miles north of New Orleans. Grew up probably the same way all you guys grew up, showing cows and pigs, 40-acre farm we had, ranch, uh, picking green beans all summer, things like that. Um, that's our pool. So you see it's nice and chlorinated down in South Louisiana. That's about the average color of the pool. In, uh, that's not a pool, it's, it's a river, obviously. That's where I really had my first experience with the water. I had no idea I was going to get much more experienced in the water. So my dad spent about 29 years in the corporate world, and um, I can tell by some of the generation ages here, uh, there was a transition time where people had grown up in the ladder, used to be able to just get a job, stay with a company, and keep going. After 29 years, uh, a group came in, took over the company, hired some young gun that had a college degree, even though my dad didn't have one, he had been in that company for 29 years, he was unemployed. So, I just started my first year at LSU. Uh, he, we, he pretty much lost everything. And so we opened up a chain, of, we took what he got, what he had left, opened up a couple of different restaurants down in Louisiana, because we like to eat, as you can tell. Um, I didn't look like that before, just now. The, um, so we had two restaurants and then a catering facility. And that's really where I, all my life I've learned, as you guys in West Virginia can clearly relate to, the value of hard work, an honest day's work, doing right by other people. Those are the types of things that we learn. And if you have any familiarity with, in the restaurant business, it's seven days a week, 365. You add another one, it's more than that. You add a catering facility, weekends, holidays, everybody else is having a good time while you're working. So it learned, me, it learned a lot. Next slide, please, Trey. Then we went to war. And so after that, article came out about uh, 12 days after that I enlisted. Put me into the delayed entry enlistment program. Two weeks before I left, I met with my parents and said, hey, I joined the Navy. And they're like, what? You realize there's a war going on? I was like, that's why I joined the Navy. So the, um, I went into the Navy. I originally was going to go to the Marine Corps. But I walked in to the, the Marines and the Navy are the same entity. Any Marine Corps folks in here? So you guys know the sisters of the Navy, right? The Marine Corps? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> He's going to come over here and pummel me. I was just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So we had the, um, so he was all high and tight, ready to go. And I'm smoking and drinking, you know, 21-year-old kid. And... Um, I'm walking out, I'm like, ah, it's just a little, man, nice uniforms, but just a little too rigid for me. And then some big heavy chief came out the back, hey, where are you going? From the Navy. I said, oh, I'm going to come back and see what I want to do. He said, come on back here. He goes, don't worry about the Marine Corps, Navy's got a much easier life. And uh, I'm like, well, that's not really what I'm looking for. I said, I want a combat role. And he says, well, we have that too. And I said, oh, really interesting. I said, what about the dungarees? You know, those jeans and stuff you have to wear. Like, you have to wear that? He says, not if you make it through this program. So I enlisted, went off to boot camp. Go ahead, Trey. And this is the bridge. That bridge is the bridge that connects San Diego 
to Coronado. San Diego is the home of the U.S. Navy's Pacific Fleet. Right across that bridge are where SEALs are created. There's also the West Coast SEAL, units, SEAL teams that are over there, but that's where all the training is done on the other side of that bridge. Once I crossed that bridge, I became a very different person. People that go to Christ feel the same way, don't they? The only time I go back across that bridge is to bring somebody back with me. That's what we do, right? Next slide, please. So training begins. The only easy day was yesterday. The reason they call it the only easy day was yesterday, which is the slogan, is because yesterday is over, thankfully. There's a, a, a slogan there that if ever, the way that, is anybody, does anybody know individually a Navy SEAL? Know them personally? Two people, look around the room, maybe three, four, five, okay. That's not very good odds. And the program's been around since 1962 is when it was started. So I'm one of 11 original students that graduated out of 122 students that enrolled in that class 190. The only easy day was yesterday because if they put a bell next to your bed in the morning, next to your rack, nobody would make it because you got to repeat it every single day. As Christians, we have to live it every single day. And it's hard. It's hard. Otherwise, everybody would make it. So uh, the, trainings, the way the training works is it's broken down into four distinct sections. The first section is a pre-BUDS. BUDS is called Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training, BUDS. Every SEAL that wears this trident has to go through that program, no exceptions. It's six months long. It's the longest, hardest, most enduring training program of any military organization in the world. It uh, starts with what's called pre-buds, where they teach you how to swim the way you were supposed to swim, teach you to tread water, tips and tricks that you're gonna need to go to first phase. They take the top of the pre-buds people, bring them into the first phase, which is the weed out phase, the big weed out phase, where you lose most of the people. So you do different things uh, in first phase that you have to pass. It's got academics too. You just go, you take your test and you learn hydro, uh, hydrographic reconnaissance. You learn proper surf passage techniques. So you, have, you actually take tests. It's, a, it's also an academic setting. You just do it wet and sandy after you haven't been sleeping for a couple of days. But you still have to pass the test. If you don't pass the test, you're out. If you fail to run, you're out. If you fail to swim, you're out. Like on and on and on. So... That's the good part, because once you start going through the first few weeks, your goal is to get to the fifth week. Now it's the third, America's Navy. It used to be the fifth week. Once you get to the fifth week, it's called Hell Week. And in Hell Week, the only thing you don't have to do is quit. So if you can stay alive and keep rolling, then you'll make it through Hell Week. The first night we lost, it starts on Sunday. It ends on Friday. Um, the, you get two hours of sleep on Tuesday night, two hours of sleep on Thursday night. That's it. Your boots never come off except to go lay in the surf zone. So, because your legs will swell, your feet will swell, you won't be able to get your boots back on. So you have to go through that hell week period. The first night we lost 30 people. The second night we lost another 35. 
Because the darkness is scary. The darkness is scary. And there's a lot of things that Paul had said, and you're gonna see through a, a couple of these other slides. The way you get through hell week is one sunrise at a time. One sunrise at a time. And the, the rule is, if you see the sun on Wednesday, you're gonna make it. And the reason you, you, you're gonna, you have a higher probability of making it on that Wednesday is because your body's numb. Your brain's out, you haven't slept in four days. You've been on the go, moving, carrying boats, laying in the surf zones, all that stuff. So you just, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I've already proven we're not gonna quit. So that's really the, just get to the sunrise. Sunrises are important. The Lord brings a sunrise every day. So Hell Week itself is a transition because if you fail anything in the first five weeks, you're wearing a white T-shirt. Once you get past Hell Week, you wear a green T-shirt. Now, if I fail something in second phase, which is diving phases, the diving phase, or the third phase, which is land warfare, um, explosives, uh, those types of things in the third phase, if I fail something there, I get an opportunity to roll back and start that phase over again. So they don't make you go through Hell Week twice. It's a transition. It's a bridge. White to green. Next slide, please. So once you cross the bridge, what do you do? And one of the tasks that I had um, was kind of trying to figure out how am I going to do this? I'm going to say this. What's Dr. D looking for? What can a church of men get from this? Is because once you get out of training, it's even harder. Think about the disciples. While Jesus was on earth and walked with them for those three years, they were in training. Then he leaves them for a short period of time, and the work got harder, much harder. But they had the benefit of being with him. They could see it firsthand. We don't. So when we get out of training, we go to work. Right there, what you see on the picture on your left is of us doing what's called a rubber duck, where you basically, where we jump out of C-130s, we push boats in front of them, and then parachute down behind them, get onto the boats, rig them up, and then that's the beginning of our operations. So the training piece is always easier because it's a controlled environment. This is real. Like, you don't have a safety net anymore. That safety net is gone. Next slide, please. So there's a lot of things, as I was, I was thinking about what Dr. J said, there's a lot of things that are relevant. And I was listening to Paul's talk, and I'm like, man, it's crazy. Like, the two worlds do collide. Like, what do you think Navy SEALs and God and Christian men all have in common? There's a lot. Here's number one. The mission comes first, right? We all have a mission to do. We're men. We take the lead. We run our families. We run our churches. We step up. We're the ones, regardless of what the world tells us to do, we're the ones going in, and the mission comes first. It means you're going to lose people. People are going to die. They're going to get injured. You may die. That's part of it. You're still the mission. The people that are next to you pick up and keep going because our ultimate mission is to get to the promised land. Because if I die jumping out of an airplane, I want to make sure my rescue plan is in place. Amen. Jesus is my, evacu my evacuation route. And it's forever. 
Uh, next, next slide, please. It's a brotherhood. You heard that one. And it is a brotherhood. You earn your way in, and that's how you get in. And that's it. Christianity is no different. The disciples are no different. Paul earned it, and he wasn't even an original disciple. But I put a quote, I put a scripture on there from Galatians, because it's not all hunky-dory. Most of, most of us hate each other, believe it or not. There's a saying, well, that might be a strong word. We don't get along very well. There's a saying that says, trust them with your life, but not your, bro, but without, but not your money or your wife. It's a bad group of dudes, you know, um, doing stuff. And so, but like just when Dr. D called me, I came. We're here. They're here for each other. And when you're on a mission and when you're doing operations, it's legit. And that's who you want by your side. If we're trying to, per, to pursue an eternal life, we need our brothers to help us get there. There are no Rambos in the SEAL teams. That's for the Green Braves. Those guys do that. Everything is a team, always. And so the brotherhood of ministry is no different either. Next slide, please. Accountability. Everyone fails. Everyone makes mistakes. You get, we got to have accountability. Are we running the church correctly? Are we doing the right things? Am I doing my job as a calm guy making sure we don't end up like Marcus Luttrell ended up in Lone Survivor. Comms couldn't work. There's four people. That's all there was. We'd go on these two sniper teams and a comm guy and a, and a um, uh, uh, my OIC or AOIC in a little buried, uh, buried little bungalow while two sniper teams are watching drug planes fly in out of Columbia. So when I was at SEAL Team 4, we had uh, our responsibility. So back in, in my day, the SEAL teams operated across the globe. They still do, but they do it differently now. Before, they used to have platoons, teams of 16 men, that would cover certain geographical theaters. As part of SEAL Team 4, I, our team was tasked with Central and South America. So anything going down in, the, in that area of the region, we're stationed down there. Anything going down in that area of the region is ours. We need help then they'll come. Some of you may remember Operation Just Cause, where Manuel Noriega was on the run. Our team sunk his yacht to stop his escape route. Our team disabled his airplane from flying out, and we lost four guys in the process. Accountability. When you have large numbers, you don't have to be accountable. When you're a small group of Christian men, you're accountable to your wife, your church, your children, your friends, there's a high level of accountability associated with that job because there's just not enough of us. Next slide, please, Trey. Fearless. You heard Paul talk about that. The Lord tells you, do not be afraid. You have to be fearless. If you're skittish and scary, you can't do the job. It's just, you're just not built for it. The... Uh, Chinook on the left, picture your left-hand side, that's called fast roping. There's another exercise I didn't have a picture of. It's called spy rigging. Anybody know what that is? No? Okay, it's used for jungle insertions or high canopy areas or in urban settings where they can't land a helicopter. 
So what they do is they fly over, they drop down a rope, you lay it down, you go two by two, get on that rope and snap yourself up, and then they roll up just like that and then get you out. That's how you make an extraction in areas where a helicopter can't land. I was the second pair from the bottom on an operation we were doing off of Panama. They had a couple of Air Force pilots that weren't very familiar with doing special operations extractions. And so when they raised up outside of the triple canopy, they didn't, we didn't clear the canopy. So the bottom two pairs were sent into a tailspin. And I was on those pairs. They drug us across the top of the jungle and then sent us into a tailspin. We got over the Panama Canal and we were swinging wildly underneath the helo. The harness that I was using wrapped around my neck and pinned me to the rope. I'm hanging under a helicopter. Can't communicate, it's very loud. I start going out, I see the lights. Everything's at dark, real in the night, in, in special operations world. Um, so I see the lights at the end and I see them getting dimmer and dimmer and my buddy can't hear me, so I'm, tap I'm just smacking him on his helmet as hard as I possibly can. And I could hear him saying, what's wrong, what's wrong? I'm like, without the ability to verbally communicate, I figured he would realize when my tapping started slowing down, something was wrong. So he put on his, his emergency infrared strobe, I went out. Next thing I woke up, I was laying on the, uh, on the floor after the helo made an emergency landing. I wasn't scared. I just, I, I just wasn't scared. We don't get scared because we know this is not the end game that we play today. It's just not. Next slide, please. We all have to sacrifice. SEALs, Marine Corps, Army, you name it, all of them. Christian men have to sacrifice too. There's a lot of garbage we have to suffer through on a daily basis. At work, on TV, all the shows, you know, we're trying to cancel every, almost everything possible on TV. It's garbage. You know, it, you have to sacrifice the things, even with our own children. No, you can't watch that. No, you can't do that. No, you got to put your kids somewhere else because that's not a good environment for them to come up in. It's not like we're perfect or doing it, but we have to make sacrifices uh, in order for the greater good. These are people that I personally know, now the list is twice that size, um, that have been either killed in combat or... Um, that I personally know and serve with killed in combat or suicide. Suicide is not a sacrifice. When people ask me, kids, I mentor a lot of kids trying to come through the SEAL program. The military rates of suicide are unbelievably high. It's, it's ridiculous. When kids come to me and say, I want to be a SEAL, like, you do realize there's no glory in it, right? But what advice would you have for me? I say, don't do it. That's my advice. Don't do it. I know, but I want to do this. I said, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Because you have to know the end before you get started. If you make it, you're going to have to deal with this. If you don't make it, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you didn't make it. So the best thing to do is just avoid it altogether. But they go anyway. Thank God that they do because we need them desperately. Next slide, please. And then kind of finally, why do we do it? Why do we go through all the training? Why are we prepared to do all the stuff? It's for deployment. Paul's doing mission work all over the place. You guys, Dr. D, you doing mission work. Here. Look at this church. It's amazing. 
It's mission work. One time uh, I was in Panama, we were, doing, we were running um, surveillance on aircraft. So I was in during the war on drugs. So we were pretty busy. We would do direct action raids on, on drug labs. We also were in um, Peru and Ecuador during the Sinapa War, which is a, a river, it's a territorial war. And so our special operations teams were working with both sides of the special oper uh, operations teams to set booby traps, mines, destroy other targets and things like that. So we had been in the bush for about 14 days and we'll send teams out to monitor air traffic and we send all that stuff back. You'd be surprised what you see people running drugs through. Uh, <laughs> like police, military, politicians, it's a mess. The world's a freaking mess. But anyway, I debated whether I should tell this story or not because it is kind of goofy. Uh, but it was about 14 days out, and in the jungles down there, there's everything. Bushmasters, poisonous spiders, dart frogs. It's a nasty environment. It's hot. And we sleep about this far off the ground just to try to stop the creepy crawlies from getting us while we're uh, uh, laying down. Um, I had this weird dream that I was pregnant. <laughs> I was like, okay, this thing just went real sideways. <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't. I don't know how, but I wasn't. So I get up and tell the doc in the morning. I said, doc, man, my stomach's killing me. Like, something's wrong. And he's like, all right, what'd you eat? And I was like, I eat the same junk you guys eat. And um, so he did a couple of tests on me, and he says, you got appendicitis. We got to get you out of here. So you put all these things in together, like uh, deployment, sacrifice, accountability, small units, all the things that we just talked about, and they're putting me in the Zodiac, scooting me down the banks of the Panama Canal into a bread truck over to an army hospital at the, uh, at the army base over there. Did anybody else come with me? No. The corpsman who drove me over there dropped me off. He went back in. And they sent me to a hospital. The mission goes first. Mission has to keep going. I could have died in the jungle and it had done the same thing. Next slide, please, Trey. So next big bridge for me was my family. My wife, Kelly's back there. Um, we just went from, this, this, this happened, uh, we had a trip planned. We went to Anguilla and the islands, and we took a boat from the Anguilla to St. Martin, St. Martin to Newark, Newark to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh in a car to here. And so I was like, I'm not going to make her fly all the way home by herself. So she came with me. But life-changing event, 26 years we've been married, two wonderful kids, 23-year-old son, 16-year-old daughter, just blessed beyond belief uh, how well these kids are doing and in a really tough environment for kids these days. Next slide, please. Bridge. That's my son in the hospital bed. That's his car. New Year's Eve, 2021, <clears throat> he runs off the side of the road, hits a tree, ends up in a cow pasture. They find him the next morning at 520. He had worked his way out of the car with a collapsed left lung, broken left forearm, open femur fracture of his left leg, which was five, inch, was five inches of which the bone broke off and flew out of the car. Broken right fibula. 
During the night, he ended up taking um, a knife that I'd just given him for Christmas, and he opened, you know, that hard plastic covering that stuff comes in. He opened it with his teeth because his left side was completely inoperable. Cuts the airbag off of the sunroof rod that had fallen down and waved the flag until somebody finally saw him the next morning when he pushed himself out of the car because he said, I'm not going to die in this car. So he worked his way to the, out of the pasture side, got on his back, inched his way toward the road, waved the flag. He said when he hit the ground, his left foot jumped up here. He had to throw it back down. He was missing his bone. So Cattle Ranch, we, my wife and I get a call from Baton Rouge EMS the next morning and uh, told us what happened. We went down there. They did a bone graft on him where they pulled the, three months after they fixed him, or at least put him together, uh, they did a bone graft on his right leg, used that for the left, left femur window. Everything seemed to be going good. He was supposed to graduate from LSU in the spring. Obviously, that didn't happen. So he went back in the fall. He had just gotten back. The rod in the left leg snapped in half. He hit the ground again. There wasn't enough bone graft to take to secure the, the structure of the rod. Here we go back into surgery. And then um, here we are, just had his last bone graft done and, and surgery, October 6th. And praise God, he's on his feet and everything's looking really well. And he graduated in December. Perseverance, it's worth it. It's worth it. Next slide, please, Trey. There's the sunrise. He waited to sunrise that next morning. Sunrise for me, hell week. Sunrise the next day. We can scream and wail as, we, as long and as high as, as high as we can possibly do it. But great is, their fa great is thy faithfulness, and every morning is a new opportunity. Next slide, please. All of this to be said, we're trying to destroy evil. The Lord already said he was going to do it. I used to fight evil with hand grenades, guns, RPGs, and putting myself and our friends at risk. Evil's allowed, allowed, uh, evil is out there. I don't fight them that way anymore, although I would if I needed to. If they come here, they will, I will. But... We fight them with a Bible and a cross. That's what we all do. We fight them with a Bible and a cross. We're putting down the gun. It's for someone else. And this is where we go to work. I fought a physical war. We fight physical wars in the military. But we all fight spiritual wars. But the good news is God already said he won it. We just have to execute. We already know the end. We just have to get it there. So I'll leave you with this. Next slide, please, Trey. We have to cross every bridge that we get to. There's bridges everywhere we look. Some will train, change our lives. Well, they all change our lives. But some will make an impact on other people, including ourselves. Be a man. Cross the bridge. Make a difference. Because we all have it in it to do us. All have it in us to do it. And it has to get done. The Lord's work has to get done, and it starts with us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m. 